Oh, thanks, worship team. Wow. Some people get, get just goosebumps. I get goosebumps and tears. There's a, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, there's a uh, statement that tears are one of the gifts. I used to try to fight it. Now I just grab it. Maybe I'm in the wrong tradition. Um, anyway. That's where my glasses get so dirty all the time. So I'm not Guy, but just in case anybody's a visitor and was reading the scorecard, I'm not Guy, I'm Doug. Uh, Guy's doing well, we've heard. So that's great news. Um, so the good news is Guy's doing well. The bad news is you're stuck with me for the morning. Um, so off we go. My bar for success, I should say, is, 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 is low. Um, so... <laughs> Just endure. My, my goal is that after I get done filling in for Guy, that they don't impose some sort of topic screening censoring for the next person that speaks. Because if they put one of those policies in after I've filled in, I'm going to take it personally. But anyway, so that's, uh, that's that. Now, my checklist for, for speaking is, first of all, to check and make sure that I have my car keys. All right, so I do. So checklist number one. One time I filled in for a guy, and after the service was over, and I'd been here since like, you know, 7.30 that morning, and I couldn't find my car keys. You know, they were out in the car. <laughs> it wasn't so bad they were out in the car, but it was locked in the car. <laughs> and the car was running. So, no, I wasn't nervous. No, no. <laughs> I got that beat today. I got the car keys. So... So we're in good shape. Um, all right, so the topic uh, today is, is thanking God for his general revelation. Um, I landed on this about uh, Tuesday. Uh, it was like the fourth topic, and so this, this, this little uh, homily will be ready Wednesday. So you, you're getting an interim version. I apologize for the lack of polish. But it is what it is at this point. I hope that something comes out of it for you. Um, it, it's been great for me, so I've benefited in, in a selfish manner. I've been glad it's all happened. So um, just hopefully you'll get a nugget somewhere here that's useful. Uh, the source for this is, um, comes from, from two things. One is Guy's series that he did on being thankful to God for all the persons of the Trinity. That one really struck me because it's something like we, we acknowledge it. You know, it's part of our, our doctrine and it's something we might say, but we don't take that and then turn around and go, thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for that. At least I, you know, I didn't use that as a, a point of meditation, if you will, of thankful meditation. So I started thinking about what other things do we have, um, what other aspects of God are there that you know, we can use as focal points for being thankful because we know that we should be being thankful and, and we feel thankful to God for all the different things that we think about him. But if we're not thinking about different things, then we don't even open ourselves up to the opportunity to be thankful sometimes. So the, and this business about general revelation struck me because in, um, our, in the Sunday school class that we, we have doing big questions in life right now, the first big question, I don't think we've gotten past it. We made a list of, like I don't know, five to ten. We're still stuck on number one which is, is there a God? And, and these are those big questions, you know, that everybody deals with and then, you know, 
helps form their worldview. And as, as we've been talking about that, we've realized that you know the, there's information in our experience as humans that lead us to the notion that there very likely is a God. And in reading about those and sharing those, you know, with each other in, in our discussions, I thought that is really neat. That's something that I don't think about. I don't think about the fact very often that God has given us in our experience as humans things that point directly to the fact that, you know, it makes sense that there's a God. And so it was the combination of those discussions and looking for other things to be thankful to God for um, that, that came about to this, uh, this title. So off we go. Oh, let's see, I have to turn this thing on. Um, so I, I, I did mention that things have changed a bit. It doesn't match the title in the bulletin, I don't think, and it's not because, but it's just that things changed. Um, okay. It's not going. I tested it all the way back to there earlier, just so you know. <laughs> Things change. All righty. Have you got control in the back? Okay. So anyway, what is what is the what is revelation? Let's just take a quick look at it, and then we're going to subdivide it into um, general and special. But revelation is simply that God provides information to us, right? It's God's communication. It's nothing more cosmic than that, but it is really, uh, it's fascinating. Ah, there we go. So what are some of the things that God does communicate to us? At the highest level, and I've already mentioned, he communicates to us in some ways that he exists. He communicates what he's like. He communicates what he's done for mankind and how he accomplished those things. I mean, all these elements and how he's worked in history. You know, because if God is like the God we've, we believe in, he does all these things, right? And so we've got to get that information. So that's simply what revelation is, is this information. So the, um, let, let's look at sort of a traditional Protestant statement about uh, about God's revelation. So this is from the Belgic Confession, Article 2. This is way back in 1561. This is early in the Reformation. So that the, the statement is, by what means God has made known to us? It's sort of a question-answer thing. So we know him by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, which is before our eyes as a most elegant book wherein all creatures, great and small, are as so many characters leading us to contemplate the invisible things of God, namely, his eternal power and divinity, as the Apostle Paul saith in Romans 1.20, all which things are sufficient to convince men and leave them without excuse. A lot of words, but basically all of that first bullet point is, there's a lot out there in nature that tells us about God and who he is. So I'm not making this up. The reason I'm citing this is so you know I'm not making this up. I'm not starting off. If I end in heresy, you'll know at least I didn't start in heresy. Okay? 
And then the second bullet point is, secondly, he makes himself more clearly and fully known to us by his holy and divine word, that is to say, as far as is necessary for us to know in this life to his glory and our salvation. So we've got two things going on. We've got his, his um, revelation to us in nature, and he, we've got his revelation to us in action in scripture. So let's take a little more look at these two bullet points and the two types. It's, um, people like to divide them up, and it's, a, it's somewhat arbitrary, but I think it's useful for initial, for initial thinking to have these two different categories. So the first one is, is general revelation, and, then, and we're just kind of looking at how they, what their characteristics are and how they differ from one another. So first of all, general revelation is, as it suggests, it's available to everyone. It's universal. So this isn't something that's unique to those of one particular religion or another. It's not, particular, not unique to those in Christianity. The experience that we're talking about in general revelation is something that everybody has. And I'm going to keep coming back to that because it's something that's lost to me, uh, at least before I had to go back and start thinking about these things. There's a point of commonality that I have with every other human being. And... That's my, that can be my starting point for a conversation with anybody. Because I know that as a human being, they've had these same universal experiences that I've had. They may not interpret them the same, but they've had the experiences. And we'll come back to that. And if you don't walk out with anything other than, than that thing, that's probably the most important element. Um, let's see. Some of, these, some of these pieces of general information um, are from our experience of nature. We, we saw some called out specifically in that uh, Belgic confession. Uh, some are things that we experience within ourselves as to how we're wired, particularly that sort of our moral compass that we have inside and that other people have inside. It's a universal element. Um, now, people can decide whether or not to accept or how to interpret these experiences, but I keep coming back, the experiences are, are very general. Now, specific revelation is different. Um, it's provided, in essence, to a particular group who then you know, sort of protects it, oversees it, makes sure that it's passed on appropriately. Um, people can join the group. Um, these are specific interactions of God with man or mankind. They're the accounts of those interactions. They're the record. For us, it's Holy Scripture. For us, the group is the church. Um, and then there's, there's an authority factor um, that's tied into both the group, that is the church, that protects the tradition and the tradition of, that, of it, God's interaction itself. So you can see there's, there is a difference, right, in, in, in this specific and general. You know, and it's, it's the universalness versus the specificness, but it's also the amount of information, the clarity of the information. The information in the general, yeah, it's, 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 it's experiences that we have. It's a little, um, what do we say, it's a little fuzzy to form doctrine. We'll just put it that way. You move over to the special, and now you've got how God works, what he's looking for, what his nature is, and it's much more spelled out. You've got stories of God interacting with humans, and, and, we, and we can work from that. So that's sort of our two types of revelation. Another table of this, these categories, just to kind of summarize it, 
So the audience is everyone versus a particular group. The type of information is general. Um, existence of God, limited regarding the nature of God and what he's done, versus particular information of, of God relative to a certain religion. And, and there's some examples there, and we'll get into these examples more. Um, but the examples for general revelation are things like our experience of moral obligation. Um, and for special, it's, you know, Jesus Christ is the ultimate revelation. It's God incarnate. I mean, we're moving up on, um, you know, on, on Advent here. So our thankfulness for Advent comes back to, you know, the ultimate revelation from God of a special sort, not of a general sort. So that's, you know, the next time I have to fill in for Guy, I'll cover special revelation. <laughs> Originally, I was going to cover both today. Um, yeah, it got long, and so... I decided to trim it down to just general. So, the, so don't feel like I'm slighting special. It just wasn't time to, to, to fit everything in. Uh, and, and you'll be glad that I'm not trying. Just trust me. Um, so, so we split into, and actually you could do a third. I was thinking this morning while listening to some of those um, hymns that there's a, there's a third element, and that is that once you have the special revelation, it interacts with your general revelation and it changes it. And it, 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 um, there's probably a lot in that I, I haven't read, but it just would be an interesting set of thoughts. And I'm sure there's people have developed it. Um, I, I was also prone to, to grab onto the general revelation for this morning because I think it is something that we don't uh, talk about or think about much. I can at least say I don't. So, you know, then since I get to talk, I get to generalize from what I think is interesting to what I think you guys all think is interesting. And if you don't track, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's too bad and I feel bad, but nothing I could do about it. So anyway, um, so these, there, there's some strengths and I'm going to call them weaknesses, you know, to both of these, let's just take a quick look at those and we'll circle back to these again later. Um, I think the real strength for the general revelation is its universality. Um, and I think the strength, though, of special revelation is the detail of the information, the adequacy of the information to salvation and redemption and God's plan. Those things do not dwell in the general revelation. Not enough. It was enough to get you interested enough to make you go look and see, you know, what are some of the options? I believe there's a God, you know, what religion fills the gap? Or, or what religion makes the most sense out of my belief that there is a God? A lot of people view this as a two-step sort of apologetic. Um, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity develops this in the two steps. He goes, okay, here are the things that make me believe there's a God, and now these are the reasons I think that of the possible ways to respond to that existence of God, the Christian faith as described in the creeds, is the most reasonable. I mean, that's his layout. And other people have done the same thing. Um, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making stuff up here, and I'm not being original. So it's like I get, I get, the, I get the cover and the defense all in one here. Um, so the, the weakness, and I, I shouldn't really use, I put, should put weakness in quotes. It's really not a weakness, but um, for general revelation, the, what do I want to call it? The, you, can, you can deny it. 
you can misinterpret it. You can interpret it as um, not an indication that God exists. You can say, yeah, I had that experience, but, you know, it was really due to the burrito I ate at lunch, you know, or, or, or whatever, you know. And, um, or, or you can say it's a brute fact and, you know, it's a, you know, some weird way that my neurons fire. Yeah. So people can deny a particular interpretation. Um, so that, on the one hand, that's a weakness, but when you read how people have talked about it, it's part of the inherent nature of God giving us the freedom to either accept or deny his offering of salvation and his, the offering of his existence. If, if he made that general revelation so clear and so strong that no one could deny it, then we wouldn't have the freedom to not follow God. I mean, it, it would be intellectually compelling. And so it's consistent, it's not irrational, but it's on a level playing field. You get it, you get it and now you've got to decide what you're going to do with it. And everybody has them, and everybody has to make that decision. Um, so take that word weakness with a, with a grain of salt. Um, and I put over on the other side that the, there's an element of, of, of any uh, group, of any, any um, uh, special revelation that's compiled can be seen as something that belongs to a certain subculture or something. And, and so somebody who's not within that subculture already can kind of keep, want to push it to arm's length because they're not already in the, in the club, if you will. Um, I put that up. You can do it as you please. But I think it just, it, may, it should help us be aware that we're the beneficiaries of special revelation, but we want to make sure that we don't create around that special revelation a club that pushes people off. So in a nutshell, here's where we're going this morning. Uh, We want to increase our general awareness and understanding of how God has made himself noticeable by general revelation. That's number one. Number two, we want to recognize that this revelation is to all mankind, and that as such, um, it's something we've got in common with everybody. It's a common starting point. Um, More than just a starting point. It's part of being human. It's part of the human experience. Um, so then we have to just, you know, we'll, we'll get through and we'll see that people can interpret the experience of, say, awe and wonder as an indication that there's a person-like being behind things. Or they can just say, no, there's no person-like being. It's, um, it's just an absurdity that I feel and the nature and my feelings of morality are just, they're just brute facts. There's no, there's nothing behind them. They just are. And... I could just as well ignore them. You know, it's sort of, you know, I shouldn't even, I have a hard time with them because I'm so biased. So, you know, my tone of voice is, I'm noticing I'm having a negative tone of voice as I'm trying to present the other side and I shouldn't. But anyway, it is. It, it is what it is. And, and I put this other bullet on here about burden of proof. Um, there's a tendency sometimes for us to feel like the burden of proof is on us to prove that, say, our interpretation of these general Revelation experiences that God exists, that we've got to prove that God exists, and the people who take the other interpretation are the default correct point of view, and that somehow we've got more that we've more work to do. 
no, no, no. The experience is what the experience is, and, and however you're going to treat it, however you're going to decide to analyze it, or analyze isn't the right word, incorporate it into your worldview, you better, you got to give your reasons for going down that path. The paths can be very different, but you got to give your reasons for going down that path. There is not a default path that is, is correct. Think of it as a level playing field between going down a, yeah, there is a God worldview, and no, there isn't a God worldview. Um, so while scripture itself is not general revelation, we've touched on that it's special revelation, it does make reference to general revelation. So we're not outside scripture because we're talking about general revelation. In fact, uh, let's see, we didn't read this one this morning. Uh, so the classic one that you know everyone will see cited with respect to general revelation is Paul's statement in Romans 1.20 that for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been so have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. I don't know. I mean, I, that's a that's a powerful verse. There's a lot in there. Um, I have a hard time with the last phrase. I got no idea what to do with that. That would have taken you know a month to prepare to try and even figure out what to do. But there's something out there in nature that. And the Bible tells us that God has revealed himself to everyone, that's including us, in nature. Fantastic. You know, I'm coming back to this thing. We all experience nature. We're tuned in and we're sensitive to it. You know, God's presence behind nature, not in nature, but behind nature, is there for us. Um, so let's like take a look at how theologians and philosophers have kind of broken down general revelation. I'm not sure if these categories are useful. Um, they were for me as I was just kind of tracking this, but um, this morning as I was going through this again, like I say, by Wednesday I'll have the right categories for you. But you know, So today we're just going to have to deal with the ones we got. Um, I took these three out of a, a book by C. Stephen Evans, called Why the Christian Faith Still Makes Sense. Great little book if you ever want to read a nice little sort of a updated apologetic, kind of a mere Christianity with the new atheists in view. Um, so anyway, he has these three categories of, of general revelation. He calls them cosmic wonder, purposive order, and moral order. Um, cosmic wonder is probably the least clear in its explanation. It's more of a wow, what if? type of response. So we, I was trying to come up with new categories this morning. So the cosmic wonder is the, wow, what if? That's where we are on that one. Purpose of order, you probably do better there too. It's, it's like beauty, design, uh, and purpose. Um, if, if when, you, when you're seeing beauty, design, and purpose, that's what comes under this category. Then moral order, I think that would make sense. Okay. The reason that he, he organized them these, this way is in another book, he takes all of the historic philosophical arguments for God that have been put forth down through the ages, and he takes them and he, he says that there, these three elements of general revelation are found at the basis of, or, or one of these three is found at the basis of each of those um, arguments for the existence of God. So the cosmic wonder is the basis for the cosmological 
purposive order is at the basis of by design and teleological moral are the moral arguments for the existence of God. But that's another another element. Well, let's take a look at cosmic wonder or the awe and wonder what if, wow, sort of thing. So th- these are sort of statements. So when are you going to make these statements? Um, you're going to make these statements when you experience nature in a way that makes you, where you're realizing, oh, man, I, the world could not, maybe the world wouldn't exist. Or what if the universe didn't exist? And, you know, you just kind of are going down that thought process and you get to a point and you realize there's nothing about my experience of nature, of the world, of me, that makes me a necessary creature or makes my species a necessary species or makes even this universe a necessary universe. It could have come out differently. Maybe this is the, wow, it could have come out differently approach. And because, wow, it could have come out differently means who's in charge of deciding the way it does come out? And then that tracks to where? That's the clue that God leaves us. He leaves us with that clue that somebody had to make sure it comes out the way it does. And that's his, that's his role. So as we look at things and we go, wow, it could have come out differently, we see behind that somebody, there's got to be something that couldn't have been any different. And that's God. So cosmic wonder is that reaction of the universe that it doesn't need to exist. Um, and, and, and it sounds a little, I don't know if that rings or resonates with you at all. And I, I have I kind of had trouble with this one. So, you know, we'll have some more. We'll move on. But just kind of put that in the back. But then it hit me, the psalmist nailed this one. And the psalmist nailed this one, actually, and I didn't, I don't think I even gave this to, to, um, to the worship team this morning, but it was the passage we read. In, in Psalm 8, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? There's human beings in this dependent mode. You know, it didn't have to be. You know, in a universe that also is dependent on God. I think the psalmist is having one of those cosmic wonder moments here. So another form that we that we had on our list is purposive order. This is the beauty, the design. The fact that beauty can be the beauty in nature can be a pointer to the existence of God. I, I'm not dialed into this one real well. My aesthetics is um, I'm aesthetically challenged, um, but I, I know for a lot of people this is a this is very very powerful, and I think that is so cool. I, and I don't. I wish I were dialed in better on this front. But um, we, we experience beauty in the world. Um, we're led to think that there's got to be something behind the beauty. Beauty in nature, you know, if you look at a piece of artwork, the beauty isn't, in, you know, isn't there because of the piece. The beauty is there because somebody made the piece. When you look at nature and there's this incredible beauty and you're overwhelmed by the majesty and beauty of a piece of nature. It's not nature 
that made nature beautiful, you're, you're, you're drawn to that thought process that there is an artist, there is a cosmic artist behind the beauty that makes nature beautiful. Does that make sense? I'll tell you what's weird about doing this is I'm reading these things and I'm going, yeah, I kind of line up with this. I don't know if other people do because I've never really tested it. I hope people on Sunday morning resonate. I don't know if it does. It could be just me. There's a word for that in philosophy called solipsism. And you just hope, and it's a criticism, and you hope you never land in it. I know it sounds like something you know, maybe you'd slip on you know, out in a parking lot. But it's, um, it's rather when you're the only one thinking a thought and you know, you're, all your justifications are internal. And Anyway, just trust me, you don't want to be there. But I have this terrible feeling that you know, I could be approaching something like that. Um, and then purpose and order in nature. When we, um, we see that, you know, the, com- the complexity of things to an end. It's not just the existence of complexity. It's the existence of complexity for some purpose. Like, oh, well, so why is there a purpose? That's, the, that's sort of the background question. And the answer to why is there a purpose brings us once again back to this sort of thing of, wow, it would, would it make sense or, or if there were a God, does it make sense then that something seems to have purpose? The answer would be yes. You put yourself with the other hypothesis. If there is no God, does it make sense for things to appear to have purpose? The answer is no. I mean, I, I don't know how many of you are, of the, if you're of my age, and you know, I had to read the existential writers in, in college, or maybe people still read them. I don't know. I, I can't tell what's current anymore. I haven't paid attention, but... You know, that was the whole deal, right? You've got nature. It appears orderly. You've got morals. They appear to have a basis. But the assumption on the atheistic existentialist is there is no God, so there is no reason. So morality and order are absurd. And then you end up in this very uncomfortable position, and none of those are happy stories. You just, you know, take my word for it if you haven't read them. Um, and, and we're not talking about here with design and complexity. We're not talking about science. All right? Um, seeing complexity to purpose is not the same as making scientific observations within natural causes. This is looking for that thing that's behind science. This is science works because things are reproducible, the world is orderly, why is the world orderly? Why is the world reproducible? Why does it fit to mathematics? They're all the meta questions. Science doesn't answer meta questions. Science uses the answers to meta questions as its presuppositions and it moves forward in a powerful way. But these are not to be confused with science. But when you do science, it leads you to these. Anyway. I'm a little more dialed in on those, right? so I won't bore you with so purpose and order in the cosmos. Once again, we go to the psalmist. Now the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. That's, you know, sometimes I'll hit, a, I'll hit a, if I'm just reading the psalms and I go reveal knowledge, you know, I just go on to the next phrase. That's a, but what does it really mean, reveal knowledge? Is it just figurative? Oh, blah, 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 it's pretty and it makes me... You know. 
Now, I think there's more to it. I think there really is, you know, a communication going on here. And this is that general revelation, you know, that we're seeing within nature. Now, the psalmist is informed in his view of nature because he's also got special revelation that he works with. But this is still part of that general, that nature, viewing nature through the eyes of someone who believes in God. Um, They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. It could be that Paul was even thinking of this part of Scripture when he writes in Romans 1.20 about the fact that the, the created order provides information about God. So I found a great uh, account of um, a purpose and order one. It's really long. I apologize. But it was, so Bill Mounts is a, he's a Greek scholar. Never anything by him. I don't know any Greek. But anyway, if you've been to seminary, I guess he wrote like the textbook on Greek. Whatever. Anyway, he's got a, he's got a blog, so his stuff showed up and he also works on the committee that inter- that's doing the NI- that does the NIV and reviews the NIV. So he says, you know, so hopefully you're reading this while I'm talking. So anyway, they take this train to Zermatt. He and his family are on this day trip, and uh, they, they're making their way up the Alps. They're doing all the driving. They get the gond- then they get the gondolas and blah blah blah. All these different steps to get as high as they can up in the Alps. And so then he says, you know, we get there. The Matterhorn on one side, the Brighthorn on the other. As I was trying to, as I was waiting for the cloud to pass, the tip of the Matterhorn, a wave of God's love swept over me. It shocked me as I tried to understand what was happening. And of course, these experiences are rarely understandable. Not only was the mountainous display of his power more than I could process, but that he would share himself with me and my family was too much. Yeah. He experienced that, and how do you walk? What do you do with it when you walk away? You go, oh, it gave me the chills because my neurons were firing. No, because God shared it with me. Awesome. Now, I just dropped this into the presentation, while all of a sudden a little thing blipped up on my computer. And amazingly, um, it was a much less wordy account by a much more well known individual. Um, but very similar. <laughs> Just saw a bald eagle fly over our house. Awesome. So thankful for this beautiful place we get to live. There you go, Kathy. This to me is just, this is just perfect. This is what we all ought to be doing all the time. We experience God's general revelation. We recognize it for what it is. We, we, expl- we exclaim, and then what? We're thankful. And then what? We tell people. Experience, exclaim, thankful, tell. Beautiful. Love it. I'm, I, I'd encourage any of you who have got, had experiences like this, if you're thinking of them now, I hope you are, go write them down. You know, because sometimes you t- sometime you'll forget about them. Grab those times, grab those moments, because um, they are special. God is, you know, like like uh, Mount said, God is sharing Himself with us at those moments. Let's grab them. So the the last one is morality as general revelation. Um, 
Morality is an interesting one. This is often thought of as the strongest indicator that there's a God out there. Um, because people, every, every decent person has the experience of feeling that they ought to do certain things and they ought not to do other things. And this is, once again, this is a universal type experience. And so then how do you account for this? Um, so philosophers have argued down back and forth in the ages, but the general consensus is you, you account for this by postulating the existence of God because you need somebody who's the source of this obligation. You can't be obligated to yourself because you don't really benefit by doing one thing versus another. You can't be obligated to the person because sometimes these obligations aren't to them. I mean, it just gets fuzzy, and there's books written on this, and this isn't the purpose is to go through the arguments. But um, I mean, if you're interested in some stuff, there's great, you know, there's great work on it, and it's been, you know, people go through it a lot. But it, there is this universal uh, feeling that w- there is right and wrong. Now, you know, then, then people raise the fog over, well, what are the specific right and wrong? And then it does get foggy right there. But that doesn't get away from the fact that there's a general consensus that certain things are righter and certain things are wronger. And, uh, and that seems to transcend uh, cultures even. So what does that come from? Well, it comes, it's best, and it's what we come back to now. We've made the observation, had the experience, and then the question is, if I postulate the existence of God, does that make sense out of this experience or observation? Yes. If I postulate the non-existence of God, because both are a postulate, they both are on even footing, does that explain this observation or this experience? And if you and you got to answer yes to one of those two. So, and I know where all you guys are, but just once again, it, you know, to me, the the power in these is the is the universality and the simplicity, in a way, of them. Here's an interesting one: um, human dignity. It's something that we really. Um, this is this is like a uni- this is this is like a universal moral belief. I'll say, universal might be a bit strong. Uh, very widely spread. Um, I've been using the word universal, and that's probably not quite correct for general revelation. Let's just go with virtually universal or super widely spread. You know, so I, I don't want to get thrown out based on some technicality of one person who was. You know, come up with any, you know, some sort of excuse. But so, human dignity is is a belief that, you know, is widely held. That there's a United Nations document for you know human rights or something like that. Fascinating story around it. I just read a little clip on it. What's interesting about it? So they got together and they and they wrote this document. And you know, there's all these good things that are called out for you know why we should, you know, what the human rights are. These, you know, it goes back to like our you know, our early documents of the inalienable rights of man. But what's the source that they use for the, um, for the United Nations document? Well, they couldn't agree on why mankind has these rights. And I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting. I guess that makes sense. You can't agree on why it's there. But don't you just want to know why? Isn't, doesn't that... Maybe I'm just the curious one in the bunch, but if I'm, gonna, if I'm talking to a bunch of people and I can get consensus on something like that, 
I'm really curious as to why I can get consensus from a broad range of people on a topic like that. So anyway, my claim is that it's because we all have this this moral compass, and the moral compass makes the most sense um, with God as the as the source. And then, you know, our view is that humans are created by God; they have His image, and therefore um, they're valuable. But here's a passage from Romans, you know, another chapter on down by Paul. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and other times defending them. You know, it's another example of, you know, the, the Bible's bearing witness to the fact that these are... Um, you know, legitimate things that are out there as part of our wiring. Our moral code is just part of the way God made us. So that's kind of it. I hope I haven't, like, confused the whole general revelation thing. Um, I think it's a good word. I think it's a good phrase. Um, I'm going to take a little bunny trail here. Um, Towards the end of the week, I started thinking of these um, general revelations as a Jeopardy game. So it looks something like this. So, um, as you can imagine, you know, you could say, uh, you know, Alex, I'll take Cosmic Wonder for 500. You know, then the mystery of the existence of the universe points to this person as existing beyond the universe. Who is God? I heard the right answer. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. Yeah, so would you like uh, Cosmic Wonder for a thousand? <laughs> Whoops. Cosmic Wonder for a thousand. One can imagine a universe in which one does not exist, in which humans do not exist. This person seems to be needed to account for things like me since I am not required. <laughs> Who is God? <laughs> right. Excellent. You get it? It's like all these different things that are out there as, as different pieces of general revelation, they all make us do the same thing. They go, oh, with that person, God, it all kind of falls together. Without it, you kind of go, huh, maybe, maybe not. So I had put all these, but I knew if I went through all of them, you know, I'd have lost you by like the third or fourth one. <laughs> so, uh, but a couple of them that... So, like, the beauty of the Rocky Mountains does not appear accidental, but rather the product of this person's involvement. Um, The beauty of box compositions has moved people in Japan to the conclusion that this person exists. That's a fascinating story if you haven't read those. um, Anyway, amazing. So, that's the the gist. Believe that, yeah. Who is God? There's the. In case you guys, you guys are so bright, you didn't need the. <laughs> you didn't need the answer. Now that see, that takes a lot of the slides. So now we're moving to the end real quickly here. So the general revelation summary. Once again, back to this strength and weakness question mark, whatever we want to call it. Um, uh, it's based on our universal experiences. That's some, that's its strength. It's there. It's out there. We're not the only ones. And if we can think of them and we can articulate them, 
that's fantastic because I think that will prod people to respond. Go, oh, yeah, I had that feeling. I remember. Yeah. I was up at, you know, I was at a lake in the mountains fishing and, you know, it was just, you know, whatever. I don't fish. I'm just making that up. I don't know. Whatever your moment is, you know, whatever your moment is, or moments have been. Um, you know, and then recognize, though, that that, that weakness or the non-determinateness of these revelations is that they can be taken, you know, by people in two ways. So the fact that someone doesn't interpret those experiences exactly the same, you know, it's okay. You can still talk about the experiences. I think every time you articulate the experience and you have someone articulate it to you, um, it makes them rethink it. Uh, I just think it's a great, it's a great point. Um, and then, circling all the way back then to gratefulness. Um, because these are great, even in their weakness, they're great. We need to thank God for it. We need to recognize that this is one of the ways that God reveals himself and that um, it's something for us to be grateful for. Without it, um, you know, I don't know, there's a lot of conversations that you know, we wouldn't feel good about. There's also a basis that it creates for ourselves to feel confident that the God of Christianity makes sense. Uh, like I mentioned before, like C.S. Lewis does this in a two-step approach. You, you, first, you create the reasonableness of the existence of a God, and then once you've got that established, you move to the reasonableness of the God of, um, of the God as Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of the, the general God um, in the particular uh, of the of Orthodox Christianity. So, so there we go, in a nutshell. So how'd we do? Um, hopefully we've increased, you guys have increased um, understanding and awareness as to how God's made himself um, available to us in, in his general revelation. Some of them might, might be a little fuzzy. Just think of those times that, you know, it's those wow moments. It's the wow moments of things that are beyond us, beyond nature. Not just nature, but lead us to think about what's beyond nature. I think sometimes we just have to meditate more on our experiences and be quiet. And I, you know, I'm saying that to myself. Um, and recognize that this revelation is to all mankind, and as such, it's something we have in common with everyone. I could have flogged that, so I think you got that. Um, and then all the way down, place the ways that God reveals himself on our list of items to be thankful for.